Welcome to the Think Like a CFO podcast, where we dig into not only what it takes to start a business, but to keep your business thriving for years to come using my signature CFO money method framework. I'm your host, Melissa Houston, and I am a CPA and business financial coach. I have over 20 years of experience in business, and it is my passion to share my knowledge of business finance and personal finance with other women. You can also follow me with my column at Forbes.com or my column with Entrepreneur.com. Eowyn Levine is a longtime massage therapist in private practice, and she's also a money coach who dreams of small holding one day. Through her membership community, podcast, and one-on-one work, Eowyn helps self-employed artists, creatives, and healers master their money. Eowyn guides them in getting out of debt and saving more when having an irregular income and building the financial stability that fuels their creative future. You can find Eowyn at PlumTreeMoney.com. Hello, Eowyn. I'm so happy to have you here. How are you? Oh, Melissa, I'm well and really grateful to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So before we get started, because I know you're going to talk to us a little bit about business budgeting and stuff, and I'm very excited to geek out with you on that. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. I live in New York City and I have been a full-time self-employed massage therapist now for six years, doing massage therapy for about eight. And before that, I worked in business administration and bookkeeping in a variety of different small businesses. And 2020 shut down my massage practice. And I've been using the time to start and grow a long-time dream, which is helping other creative small business owners with especially their personal finance and their everyday money management. I'm really interested in how what we do in our day-to-day money decisions has great impact, which I know you're all about too. Like you totally get it. Like those day-to-day decisions make all the difference. Absolutely. And I actually had seen you around on social media and noticed your posts and stuff. And I was like, oh, this girl gets it. She knows what she's talking about. (laughs) And then coincidentally, we met in a podcast group, which was awesome. So I got a chance to get to know you better. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun being on this podcasting journey with you. It's a wild ride and such a pleasure. (laughs) And it's so much fun to network and meet new people and talk Mm -hmm. about things, especially when you and I get to connect because we get to geek out about our favorite topic. So (laughs) which is finance and we love to talk about that. And being from New York City, you know, me being a small town, well, I often say small town now because the people I'm meeting are living in such large cities. My city that I live in is the capital of Canada. And uh, I think we're like just under a million in population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's the population of New York City? I think it's around 8 million. Although honestly, we lost about a half million to COVID, not because they died, but because they left the city. So many people lost their jobs and those that, you know, have second homes or the means to live outside of the city have moved away. So there's been a huge shift in the demographic, but it's a big bustling city. I'll tell you a secret. I'm not a big city girl by any means. I grew up in the countryside and I have a deep love of nature and spending time in nature. I love growing food and flowers and herbs. And so it's been a really interesting experience to, yeah, just find myself and live the life I want to live while being in such an urban environment. How long have you been living there? 
I moved here in 2009, summer of 2009. And a couple months after I met the man who's now my spouse and his work and his life keeps us here in the city. He's a classical musician. So that's really the reason I've stuck around is him in large part. We did live outside of the city for a few years, but actually, I mean, this is very apropos finances. It was more lifestyle than our income could handle. Plus I had major medical events during the time that we moved out. And so we ended up returning to the city. We had kind of maintained a lifestyle where we had one foot in the city and one foot a couple hours north of the city and so many things just happened all together that we had to kind of retreat and condense our lifestyle because it, it was just unmanageable. Yeah, I can imagine. And the yeah. heat would be a lot too, right? Mm-hmm. Or were you practicing outside of the city as well with your massage therapy? I had done both. Yeah. So I was okay. commuting and, and then I had also started another practice where we were living, which was an interesting process in itself. It was fun to go through opening up another business in the same industry. You know, it was still me, but it was the second time I was opening a private practice and everything went so much more quickly. And it was, yeah, I had more confidence and I was able to market myself with more clarity and comfort. And yeah, it was a really interesting process to to manage two practices at a time. Yeah, it's definitely a lot easier the second time around. I know, right? <laughs> you learn from your mistakes. So I would love to hear more about your coaching business. My vision is to help self-employed creatives really get comfortable with their numbers like you. So especially their personal numbers. So learning how to track their spending, how to budget effectively for variable income, and then how to get friendly with their business numbers as well. Although my focus is really on the personal life, because I think, you know, especially if you're not making a ton of money when you're self-employed, which is often the case with creatives, sure, there's plenty of people doing really well, but there's many people, you know, making between 40 and $60,000. I'm in the States. When you're living life at that income level, it really matters what you're spending in the day-to-day, of course. I'm really excited about helping people develop those skills and habits that are really going to empower them to build financial stability, even when their income varies greatly. Absolutely. And it's so important, as we both know, this is a skill that so many people are lacking. And it's so important to help educate and help, especially smaller business owners, I find, mm-hmm. help manage their money as well. Yeah, I often wonder what a creative is. And yeah. maybe there's some listeners who are wondering as well. Yeah, so ultimately, All human beings are creative. And I think it's an easy catch-all term for those who maybe work in design or the arts or some kind of... I wish I was a creative kind of person. Okay. Well, I feel like some of the definition is implicit in your statement there. What do you imagine a creative person is more? Very artsy, very, I don't know, like to me, even putting a Canva template together is creative and I lack that. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. It is creative. Honestly, like any creative skill, it can be learned. It's just about putting the time and effort. And I think some folks have just put a lot more of that time and effort in, you know, but I feel you. And I think when you're a small business owner, you really are pulled in a lot of different directions to be creative with words when you put together social media posts or in Canva or any other visual assets that you create yes. for business, I think. Marketing. And my creative yeah. muscle is definitely being stretched. Yeah. So I do think one can really expand the word creative to anyone who's running their own small business. But like I said, I, I think all human beings are creative, but it's an indication that you're talking to somebody who isn't in logistics and doesn't plan conferences. Although 
again, those can have creative elements to them too. It's sort of a shorthand, kind of like using the word solopreneur as someone who runs their own business and it's just them. So then let's say I'm a creative who has come to you for some business help or personal finance help, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. What I find is usually if you're struggling with one aspect of finance, if it's personal, then you're struggling with business and vice versa. What kind of direction would you pull me in? Yeah, so it would really start with your story and where you want to go. And so I think whenever you help someone in the context of coaching, it's really so tailored to their life and their wishes. So I have a three-month program that I walk people through that when we work one-on-one. I'm also building a membership community, but that is definitely still in its formative phase. And I've yet to really get clear on how I want to help people through that. At the moment, I'm doing that through money co-working sessions and other video classes and just interactions similar to a Facebook group. But back to the one-on-one coaching, I take people through a three-month program. And the first thing we do is we just sit down and they tell me about their life, about their business. They tell me where they're struggling. They tell me what they feel is getting in the way of them being where they want to be in their finances. And often (laughs) there's a discovery process where they think it's all about making more money. And this is just kind Mm -hmm. of an interim thing where they'll just figure things out until they make more money. But what they realize once they've developed those skills is that even at the income levels that they're at right now, they can really have a lot more financial freedom than they expected, honestly, or had come to hope for based on the past once they learn those new habits. And then I walk them through a whole process where I get them to look at their numbers to track their expenses if they haven't been doing it. And we analyze them. We look at the difference between fixed expenses and variable expenses. And they make some decisions about what they want to do in the context of actually planning their money and using a budget. And I teach them how to use a zero-based budget, which always takes a lot longer than I think it's going to. Mm. I'm still tweaking the process. It caught me by surprise. I've been budgeting for a while and you get to the point when you have your administrative tasks that they become automatic if you've been doing them for a while. And I've had to relearn the steps that I went through to get ready to actually yes. plan money in detail. Yeah. So everybody approaches it differently as well. And everybody learns differently. Yep. That's true. Yeah. As we go along, the emotional stuff comes up. So I was just going to ask you that question. So what would you say is a very common block for people when it comes to managing their money? The most common one that I find is some version of the thought, I'm just bad with money. And I've always just been bad with money. And that's something that they've really internalized. And it takes a lot of work to let go of that thought and replace it with new thoughts. There's this sense of defeat that comes with it. And I feel like there's also this underlying sense that they can't rely on themselves, that they can't be fully independent, that they've never really learned the financial skills, which would allow for true independence, even in the context of a partnership, if they are partnered. And I think, yeah, I think those two things often come up in my experience. So what type of transformation do you see happening with your clients? A lot more confidence. And it's almost always the case that within three months, they're saving so much money than they had previously. They generally spend a lot less frivolously because they are tracking their expenses. They're paying attention 
So often things like restaurant spending will go down significantly or other spending that isn't really necessary. And if you're trying to open up some space in your budget to put towards debt payoff or to put towards savings, like, you know, restaurants or personal care or entertainment, like those are such common categories to really start cutting back on if you want to open up that space. So I see a lot of that as well. But I think confidence is one of the biggest ones. Absolutely. That's definitely a transformation that I see with my clients clients that come in as well. Now, you brought up a really valid point earlier where quite often you mentioned that quite often that people think if they make more money, then all their problems will go away. (laughs) Yeah. And I hear that a lot too. And I see that as well. I mean, the reality of it is it's all in the in how we manage our money, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Because if you're not managing your money, if you're making 40,000 a year, you're not going to be managing your money when you're making 140,000 a year. Yep. Yep. So it's about changing habits. Would you say, would you agree to that? Yeah, absolutely. It's about changing habits, but it's also about being intentional. If you're just planning your time, like the difference between careening from one thing to another in your day and just reacting to things and just poking around blindly and hoping you get where you want to go in terms of completing tasks for your business or for your life. It's the same thing with your money. You know, you need to be able to check in with yourself. What do I want? Where do I want to go? What am I willing to sacrifice to change something in the short term? So it's about also just being really intentional. And then those habits are kind of the tool with which you work towards those intentions and those goals. And it's key. What type of habits do you commonly see about clients misspending their money and what kind of tips would you offer people? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like that touches on something that we spoke about when you were such a great guest on my podcast, which is spending in response to emotional triggers. (laughs) Spending as a way to soothe ourselves, even on an unconscious level. So for me, food has always been a real struggle. And food has been the way that I soothe myself from the time when I had like a chronic illness and a ton of social isolation when I was like prepubescent, like in a young teen, I really laid down some serious neurological tracks at that time. And so I can find myself eating when I'm not hungry without even realize I've gone to the fridge and the kitchen and like made myself a plate of food to eat. Like uh, it's as if I will wake up mid bite. It's not that in my life, I want to stop emotional eating. That's not really the point. It's more just that it's an automatic self-soothing behavior that I developed a long time ago. And so a lot of us also have that relationship to shopping as well, right? To just buying things. And so I think that's a really biggie. I mean, I know for myself, which we discussed as well, where I would be like feeling discontent and I would go online and start searching for things that I thought would fill the void consciously being aware of it, just click and buy, click and buy, get Mm -hmm. it delivered and then be like, huh, that didn't really resolve my issues. Yeah. It's like taking a vacation from yourself. So I find that often what I'm doing with clients in sessions is just helping them stay present in themselves and present in their bodies when they encounter aspects of their life that are challenging or they don't want to deal with. And of course, that comes up around money things. So if they're dealing with debt or if they're really struggling with building healthy money systems for themselves, a lot of emotion comes up and the tendency is to just not want to deal with it and 
just to buffer and distract. And so I end up doing quite a lot of somatic techniques with clients, just helping them realize that they can survive any feeling that they have and that feelings are really just sensations in the body and learning to remind ourselves that it's normal to have nutty thoughts, which make us feel anxious or make us feel afraid. And that really fear and anxiety come down to different kinds of sensations in the body. And we can learn to stay present with ourselves, learn to stay present with those sensations and remind ourselves that they're going to pass and not go immediately into that self-soothing behavior that might have gotten us into such trouble with money. I find that you said that so eloquently. And I just even felt myself get caught up in your calmness. I love how you deliver ah, that. Thank you. <laughs> it must be all those years being very, very quiet as a massage therapist. <laughs> <laughs> when you started your businesses, obviously, there would have been a lot of money lessons learned for your business. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that a lot of those lessons can be passed down to your clients as well mm -hmm. with, I don't know, something like budgeting. Yes. Amen. I mean, I think the biggest one is just learning to be prepared and not relying on credit cards. So for me, that's been a real pivotal lesson in my own life. My first massage practice, I was working full time for a spa here in the city and making decent money. Actually, you can make a decent living in Manhattan as a massage therapist. And I got sick of someone else telling me when I could come and go. And I was just desperate to start my private practice. And I really started it before I was financially ready and I hadn't put much money aside. So I ended up scrambling for a good two years until that practice was really ticking along because I hadn't prepared in advance. And I, I really hadn't developed the habit of saying, all right, here are the larger expenses, such as starting a business that might be coming up in the next few years. I'm going to start putting, you know, $100, $200 aside a month and really build up a few thousand dollars to give myself a few months of runway to get started. I didn't do any of that in my first massage practice. I didn't do it in my second massage practice either. My second massage practice, most of it was funded through credit card debt that I then paid off after a few years. It wasn't until Plumtree Money, my current business, that I did it right, where I really cash flowed the whole thing and have been building it using cash and really monitoring expenses and being a lot more careful with how I plan my money. So my massage practice now looks much more healthy than it did when I started it. But yeah, it's been a wild ride of learning how to do things and just learning how to prepare in advance in general. I grew up in a household where credit card debt was normal, like living with debt was completely normal. And the lifestyle that my parents gave me was completely discordant with the money they had available. And so I grew up with a very specific cultural experience that was very different than the money they actually had. And it was all funded by debt. And so I've had this slow learning process myself of learning to not rely on debt and to be patient and to plan ahead and to be careful with my money. Yes. And it's definitely a valuable lesson. I find <laughs> for entrepreneurs, we tend to accumulate a lot of credit card debt for startup costs at the mm -hmm. beginning. Are there any tips on, I mean, sometimes what happens is we know that we want to do this and there's never a right or wrong time to actually go into business for ourselves. And quite often it's 
unplanned, like maybe you've had a layoff or you had to leave your job unexpectedly or whatever the reason may be, and you may not be financially prepared and hence the credit card debt. But there certainly are a lot of expenses tied with starting up a new business. Any advice on how to avoid that? I think if you're forced into starting your own business due to a layoff or other life events, then you do what you have to do. With personal finance and business finance, we plan as best we can. We do our best job and then we roll with the curveballs as they come. I think there's no getting away from that fact in life that we can never plan for everything and we just do our best. However, I think it can be easy to get sucked into marketing messaging and feel like you need to buy all the education for yourself or all the fancy equipment or I don't know what. So clearly there are way, there's a wide range of startup costs depending on what your business is. Do you need a physical location? Do you need physical supplies for your business? Like the nature of your business will determine a lot of what your startup costs are. But mm-hmm. if you are in the online sphere or you're educating people, or even if you're an artist or a writer or a wellness practitioner too. So for example, just in the case of a wellness practitioner, you could go out and rent your own space for $2,000 a month or whatever it's going to be, which is a significant financial obligation, or you can opt to rent hourly from another practitioner who has space. So you need to be smart about those kinds of decisions. So I'd say ideally you've planned in advance and you have a bunch of cash sitting in account that you can pull from, and you're careful about how you're spending as you go along and grow your business and you don't get seduced by too many courses, which is definitely my temptation. And especially now that software as a service, SAAS is a thing, like there are just so many subscriptions available to engage with. Yeah, I think there's a lot of just buy me, buy me, buy me, of course, in business, just like in life. And so I think if you can navigate that and use cash as much as possible, then it's really about being very careful about your spending, being thoughtful about your spending, being smart about your marketing. It can feel like you just need to spend hundreds of dollars a month on Facebook advertising. But there are some really creative ways that you can market your business without needing to outlay a lot of money. You can often choose to give away your time instead of spending a lot of money at the beginning if money's tight. So one of the ways that I built my practice quickly, the second practice that I had is I networked with other non-competing service providers as they're known as. So I networked with acupuncturists and photographers. So people who work with the same people that I wanted to work with, but do something completely different. And I approached them and asked if I could give them a special kind of gift certificate. And it was a gift certificate that gave the recipient 30 minutes free massage and the option to upgrade to an hour or an hour and a half for a certain amount of money. So what I was giving the person was a gift for their clients The client didn't have to spend any money with me, but they were given a lot of incentive to come in and try what I did. And I had, I don't know, I probably did maybe 30 free half hour massages. There were three or four clients who just loved my work, told all their family, told all their friends. And my practice grew really quickly once I did that. And that's something that cost me time, but not directly money. Like I didn't need cash. Mm -hmm. So it's money in the sense of lost income, but I didn't need cash to market in that way. And it was really successful. Yeah, that sounds very clever. Wasn't my idea, I will say. I learned it from someone else. <laughs> Those are the best ideas too, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. He was like, this works really well. Try it. And I was like, okay, I will. <laughs> you got to love it when people are willing to help you and share information and stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. Certainly can't build a business. I personally feel anyways, it's very difficult to build a business on your own. You really need to have people in your corner. 
I agree. Yeah. And again, that's a moment where you can choose between spending and not spending when you grow your business. So you can go to networking groups. You can reach out to people independently. Like you don't just need to buy education. People usually love sharing the knowledge that they have. It's a very human trait to want to help other people and share knowledge that, especially that you've gained through the school of hard knocks of having your own business. So there's a lot of people out there who are really happy to mentor. Oh, I know. There's so many people out there that are so kind and generous with their knowledge and their time and just sharing as much as they can to help somebody. I mean, it's very rare, but you do meet the, the occasional person that really isn't interested in helping you. But the good so outweigh the bad. Absolutely. Even if you're really bootstrapping a business and you don't have access to a lot of cash, I think if you are thoughtful and intentional about the steps that you take, you can grow that business without needing to have all the money in the world. Absolutely. What is the biggest tip that you would like listeners to take away from our conversation today? Either something that we've already talked about or something totally new. It's not something we've talked about, but I think it underlays everything connected to how I'm trying to approach life and business right now, which is be kind to yourself and give yourself grace. And I think that's implicit in planning ahead for ourselves. So when we get really good with our personal finance and our business finance, we're taking care of our future self. That's a form of kindness to ourselves, And it's a form of grace to ourself. 2020 has decimated my household income. I think we're down about 90% of our annual income. My husband oh, is a performing physician and my massage work. Luckily, there are social systems that have saved us through this year, but even with the assistance of the unemployment benefits, the reason that we're fine right now and we still have our apartment, we still have our health insurance is because we got really serious about planning our money and we had a huge cushion coming into 2020. And that's really what has allowed us to live through this year with, let's put it minimal panic as opposed yeah. to maximal panic and life breakdown is because we had that intentionality and that kindness towards our future selves in previous years. So I think it really does come down to those two things. That is absolutely a really great takeaway is the importance of having that emergency fund and that extra savings. Of course, it stinks that we have to dip into it in times like this, but it's so much better to have it than not to have it because it, I'm sure as you you can experience and attest to, yeah. it makes a huge difference in your stress levels. Yeah, absolutely. And I think not holding on too tightly to the funds that we do have is an important lesson in the sense that, yes, we've worked really hard for our money and there's been effort in putting that money aside. It's pretty easy to just spend your money willy-nilly. It takes a lot more energy to be careful about it, especially mm -hmm. when that's a new skill. That's a form of kindness of what as well, of just saying, it's okay. I trust that I can navigate whatever this is and I will generate more income in the future. Things are going to be okay. I can take care of myself. I can do what's necessary. And you can offer yourself the kindness of not getting stuck in that fear and anxiety and just taking care of yourself. I absolutely love that. That is really excellent parting wisdom. So for listeners out there who would love to reach out to you, how can they contact you? Yeah, my website is plumtreemoney.com, like the kind of tree that gives you plums. And I'm on Instagram under the same name. And I'd love to hear from people, whatever way feels good to them. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with us today. I'm so glad that you were able to join us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to the Think Like a CFO podcast with Melissa Houston, CPA. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, I'm Melissa Houston. And remember, nobody will ever care about your business as much as you do. So never give your financial power away.